Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Another big progressive upset. Ayanna Presley in Massachusetts will be the first African American to represent a club. First person of color and first African American to represent Massachusetts in the United States Congress. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Here we go. Wednesday, September 5. Every primary, it seems, comes up with a big upset. And the big upsets are being scored by progressives across this land. We've talked about a lot of them. And just one big one last week with Andrew Gillum uh, winning the Democratic nomination in Florida. Uh, Ayanna Presley's win last night is right on the heels of that. Uh, There is definitely... Definitely a yearning and a movement for change among the Democratic Party, uh, inside the Democratic Party, across the country, and that impact is being felt. Thank you, Bernie Sanders, for getting it all started, and thank you all for joining us today here on this Wednesday, September 5. And lots and lots to talk about, and boy, what a wild day at the United States Senate yesterday. Uh, I'm not over there very much, but happened to be in the Capitol. And in the heart Senate office building yesterday, right in the heart of the action, walked in to see a big protest with a lot of activists down in the lobby. And, of course, then pandemonium erupted, chaos erupted in the hearing from day one, from the first minute of the hearing. Chuck Grassley didn't even get a chance to say hello before Democrats said, let's adjourn this farce and get it over with. A great show. Lots to talk about. We'll tell you all about it. You get ready to tell us what you think of it and whether chances look any better to stop the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh after yesterday. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. And again, let's celebrate the election of Ayanna Presley up in Massachusetts. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Uh-oh. 
Uh-oh. That is the sound of Tropical Storm Gordon, which made landfall early this morning between Alabama and Mississippi. This particular sound was picked up in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Now, the National Weather Service issued several tornado warnings that were uh, sort of thrown off by the tropical storm. There has already been, sadly, one fatality reported. Ooh. A tree fell on a home uh, and killed one person inside. Uh, it's still a ton of rain over there, and as morning comes to Alabama and Mississippi, we will get a full uh, accounting of the damage there. So be safe if you are in that part of the country. Uh, Bill, did you get a good six to eight By hours? By the way, that was uh, uh, that, that, that really sucking, particularly in Mississippi, Alabama coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Right? Watching it yesterday. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, did you get a good night's sleep last night? Not so much. Did you get at least six hours of sleep? Barely. Barely. Okay, all right. Well, here's the thing. There's a new study out that says that you should be, as an adult, should be getting between six to eight hours of sleep. And if you don't, it could be very, very bad for your heart. Now they tell me, of course. Uh, yeah, right. And <laughs> so, me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they're saying that if you get the recommended amount of sleep, six to eight hours for an adult, it can help you take care of your heart and lower the risk of strokes. This was revealed in the meeting of the European Society of Cardiology, and it combines 10, or excuse me, 11 different studies that looked at up over a million different adults, and they said that people who slept fewer than six hours or longer had a greater risk of developing or dying from coronary artery disease or stroke. So basically, the, the, the story here is your body needs to rest. Yeah. Your body yeah. needs to rest. So if you're one of those people that think that you can get by on three or four hours of sleep, no, you probably cannot. You probably cannot. You're doing some serious damage to your body. All right. Well, somebody tell Donald Trump that. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, in the middle of the night, I don't know, maybe early this morning, I did wake up. I looked at my cell phone, see what time it was. And what did I see? There were like five tweets of from course. Donald Trump. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that man needs a good night's sleep. This is the Bill Press Show. He's calling it a nervous breakdown of the Trump's presidency. Yeah, but uh, that sort of assumes that uh, things are going right ever. Not even from the beginning. Talking about the Bob Woodward's new book, of course, called Fear. And we all live in fear of what other damage Donald Trump could do in the White House. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Happy Wednesday, Wednesday, September 5. Great to see you today. Boy, what a day. What a lot to talk about here on the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital. And joining you all across this great land of ours, all around the globe, indeed, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. How about it? Looking at you, looking good there on Free Speech TV nationwide. And, of course, in the radio, on Radio Land, Radio Row, <laughs> Here we go, uh, statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks. Uh, great to see you today. And all through the greater Chicago area on the big progressive foghorn of Chicago called WCPT. We are proud to be your morning ride uh, uh, in, the, in the Chicago area, which uh, Chicago is still reeling with a big announcement yesterday that Mayor Rahm Emanuel 
raised $10 million, put a campaign staff together, totally expected to run strong and certainly the favorite for getting a third term as mayor of Chicago. Yesterday said, no, I've had it, can't take it anymore. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm not going to run for re-election. Uh, by the way, all you good folks out in Chicago, Lori Lightfoot is is running for a mayor of uh, Chicago. And if all goes well, cross your fingers, she'll be in studio with us here uh, next week. I believe Peter Monday uh, on the uh, Bill Press Show. Looking forward very much to that. Oh, man, so much to talk about today. Yes, indeed, the uh, Brett Kavanaugh hearing yesterday got off to a roaring start, an explosive start in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Bob, Bob Woodward rocking the nation with his latest book about the Trump presidency, um, which sort of reinforces and confirms everything all of us knew about the Trump White House and what the people who are closest to Donald Trump really think about him. Um, a, an incredible big victory yesterday, progressive win up in Massachusetts, where uh, newcomer Ayanna Presley. Uh, unseated a 10-term Democrat, good guy, Mike Capuano. Uh, Ayanna Presley just saying it was time for a change, even though they would vote the same. It's time to have a new generation of leadership, and the people of the 3rd Congressional District in Massachusetts said, yes, yes, yes. And as Peter mentioned earlier, Hurricane Gordon, uh, not Hurricane, Tropical Storm Gordon, slamming the Gulf Coast. So lots and lots and lots to talk about. Yeah, uh, let's start just a little bit with um, just reflecting on what happened up in Massachusetts. This is, this is a solid Democratic district. Um, it's interesting. It's so solid. This is the district that John F. Kennedy held, the third congressional district in Boston. So solid that there is not even a Republican candidate on the ballot. The Republicans just said, look, we can't win this. We're not, going, we're not even going to pretend to ever win this. Who do they think they are, Democrats? Yeah, right. That's what Democrats used to do. Yeah, right. Mike Capuano, he's, he's, a, uh, he, he's a good guy. He's been a good Democrat. It's a great vote. Uh, he was expected to be uh, in the leadership the next time around. But here, yet again, uh, we see evidence of the fact of this resurgence and this yearning for change which is particularly being led by the the progressive forces in the Democratic Party. All, again, a spillover, a result from the Bernie Sanders campaign in 2016. We saw it at the DNC meeting last week where uh, they accepted Bernie's ideas on, on change with the party structure and the way the primaries are held. And we've seen it in, in race after race after race where there have been surprising Democratic, progressive Democratic victories in Georgia with Stacey Abrams, in Maryland with Ben Jealous, uh, nominee for governor, in Florida last week with Andrew Gillum winning the Democratic nomination uh, for governor, up in Queens with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, knocking off Joe Crowley, another good guy, longtime Democrat, but just sort of had lost, got out of touch with his district. We saw it out in New Mexico, Deb Holland, who will be the first Native American woman ever to serve in the United States Congress. And Ayanna Presley will be, she'll, as I say, no competition, she will be the first African American to represent Massachusetts in the United States Congress uh, and the first person of color. Yesterday, and her message was, her message was, again, Capuano's a good guy. He votes the right way. We will both 
cast the same votes. That's not, it's not a difference of left or middle of the road or left or right. It's two lefties. But she's saying we just, the Democratic Party needs top to bottom, new blood, new faces, new leadership, new energy. And that's what she represented in the race. And people in Massachusetts said again, yes, you, this is your turn. I, hugely significant. You cannot deny there's a progressive wave that is sweeping the Democratic Party. Yeah, and, and you know, the other thing about this is, as, as many people that have covered this, is she's not some unknown entity in that area, right? She She's pretty mm-hmm. well known in, in that district. Right. Uh, but yeah. to your point, it is sort of like, hey, look, again, Capuano, good guy. He's an old white guy. Yep. He's an yeah. old white guy. Yeah. And that's just not what the party is anymore. I mean, there's certainly room and, for old white guys yeah. in the party, but that's just not the indicative. That's not in, like how the entire party looks anymore. And without naming names, <laughs> you can look across the leadership of the Democratic Party and say there are some wonderful, wonderful people there who have done a great deal for the Democratic Party, who are incredibly gifted, talented, vote the right way on all the issues, but you know what? It's time for them to step aside. That that's that was her message up in Massachusetts, and and again, the people of Massachusetts Third said absolutely right. And Mike Capuano, by the way, this was not a great big surprise. Unlike like Andrew Gillum, uh, it I, I people I've talked to up there and stories that I've read said they could see this coming, and so could Mike Capuano. He was ready for it last night, and very graciously he congratulated. Uh, Congresswoman to be Ayanna Presley. This is okay. America is going to be okay. Ayanna Presley is going to be a good Congresswoman, and I will tell you that Massachusetts will be well served. Yeah, what? Well, good for him. Yeah, he yeah. had a good run. Yeah, he had a great run. Had a great run. Ten terms in the United States Congress, and uh, I think uh, he 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 uh, stepped aside with class, and he said, "By the way." I'll tell you where I'm heading. Come on down. You're all invited down to the Caribbean to have a drink on the beach with me. <laughs> I love that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's head off, man. Get out of here. And Ayanna says, here's, here. again, this is so important. I hope Democrats are listening to her message. It's not just good enough to see the Democrats back in power, but it matters who those Democrats are. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's not I just lo- good I enough to that. Absolutely. I love that. And what was her 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 chant and her slogan? Uh, she repeats it here for our crowd last night. Change can't wait. For our brothers and sisters behind the wall, change can't wait. Mm-hmm. To our immigrants worried about the knock on the door, change can't wait. Whoa, that's great stuff. Yeah, change can't wait. Now's the time. No, don't say, oh, give us another five years or so, and then maybe you, some of you kids, you youngins can step up, right? Uh-uh. No, we want it now. We deserve it now. We're going to take it now. It's great to see some of these candidates out there, like Ayanna Presley or like Andrew Gillum or like yeah. Beto O'Rourke in Texas. Beto O'Rourke, I should have mentioned him. Yeah. That, of course. Recent he's, over, up, yeah. he's up against the most despicable member yeah. of the United States Senate. Exactly. But, but it's, yeah. it's, it's great to see these people – uh, that are that are running as Democrats pick up on the good parts of Barack Obama and the inspiring parts of Barack Obama, but take it even farther, 
right? Mm. Like yeah. actually putting real serious, hard, progressive politics into play here instead of trying to, you know, we're not going to, you know, Barack Obama, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. we're going to work across the aisle. It's a purple America. There are no red. Bl- that, I think that message is dead and gone, right? Mm-hmm. And these people see that and they're young and they have the right message. But they picked up on the best parts of Barack Obama to inspire these really progressive voters to show up. Uh, so good for her. We're going to see some other changes, too. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a I've got the feeling it's going to be a good year. In fact, I might add, we mentioned yesterday the Washington Post Associated Pre- uh, Washington Post uh, ABC poll showed that um, with Donald Trump now, he has a 60 percent disapproval rating, 60 percent of the American people do not like the job he's doing as president. One other aspect of that poll was released yesterday in terms of uh, who, do the, who do Americans, this is the overall poll, not district by district, but overall, who do you want to take back control of the House uh, in in November? Uh, and uh, nationwide, that came out with a 14% <laughs> advantage for Democrats. 52% said Democrats, 38% said Republicans. Significant because in January, there was just a four-point difference in that poll. Now, overwhelmingly, people are saying, throw the Republicans out, get, put the Democrats at least in charge of the House, if not the House and the Senate. Speaking of the Senate, yes, um, had a rare opportunity uh, to uh, uh, go by to the uh, Senate yesterday in the Hart office building. And walked into the middle of a great, big, huge rally uh, in uh, uh, in the lobby of opponents to the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. The hearing was going on up on the second floor. We'll get to that in just a second. But there in the uh, lobby of the building was our good friend uh, Ben Wickler from MoveOn.org, who, was, who would organize the entire thing. Nice. And there's a whole group of activists there. I tweeted out. I hope you saw that. You should follow me on Twitter if you don't already. At BP Show. At BP BP Show. Show. A photo of a woman. There were tons of men and women wearing this T-shirt. I am what's at stake, uh, which I thought was very, very powerful. Uh, Mary Kay Henry, the head of the uh, SEIU, was there speaking when I arrived. Uh, Stephanie Shriak from Emily's List was there also, uh, one of the speakers. Uh, It was a big, big show of strength. I tweeted out a couple of photos of that rally in, in the lobby. And then up on the second floor, the hearing. It was chaos from day one because we know what happened. Uh, the The White House had refused to release. By the they put a uh, I forget his name now, but they put some guy who used to work for Kavanaugh in the White House in charge of deciding what documents would be released and which were not. So the hearing, the day before the hearing ends was still 100,000 pages of documents they refused to release. And then in the middle of the night, around midnight, the middle of the night before the hearing, they released some 42,000 pages of documents overnight, night before last, which was ridiculous. And, I mean, how could – there was no way that members of that Judiciary Committee could review those documents and be ready for that hearing, which started at 9.30 yesterday morning – uh, and Democrats wanted to make that point and insisted that the hearing be delayed, rightfully so, until they had a chance to review the evidence. It started out. <laughs> Chuck Grassley didn't even get to say hello, to finish his hello before Senator Kamala Harris starts it off. Good morning. I welcome everyone to this confirmation hearing 
on the nomination of Mr. Judge Chairman Brett Kavanaugh. Mr. Chairman. To serve as Associate Justice. Mr. Chairman, I'd like Supreme to be recognized for United a question States. before we proceed. And of course, Chuck Grassley <laughs> said, you're out of order. He wouldn't recognize her. He kept going on. And then every Democrat, one by one, they stepped in and they kept up the same drumbeat. Uh, Cory Booker saying, why can't we delay this? Why can't we do our homework first? Why the rush? What is the rush? What, what are we trying to hide by not having the documents out front? What are, what's the rush? What are we hiding by not letting those documents come out? Yes. I yes. love the gavel behind I him know. as he talks. Uh, they just yeah. don't care. Grassley's just banging the gavel. Nobody's paying any attention to him. And he and uh, uh, Senator Corey and Senator Grassley get into it again. As one civil rights activist, I think it was Stokely Carmichael, used to always say, constitute, constitute. I can only say three-fifths of the word. Senator Booker. But I'm almost done, <laughs> sir. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. He's sort of giving up, right? And, uh, yeah. By the way, you talk about change in leadership right, oh, with, with the Democrats. If you oh. wanted to see a display of someone who needs a change in leadership, Chuck Grassley yeah. trying to lead that yesterday was a debacle. No. No, totally. And, of course, they kept having an interrupt. Not just were the Democrats on the committee pressing the point of, of, you know, we don't have enough time to do all our homework. This is we're rushing. This This is out of order. But there were the room was peppered with protesters. They arrested some 70 people. The protesters were very well organized. They would slip in, get arrested. Then somebody else would slip in, take Code their Pink seat. Code Pink was very well arrested. represented yesterday. Code Pink was very well represented. Uh, they were polite, but they were protesting. Uh, and um, uh, so, you know, Republicans, oh, this is terrible. How dare anybody protest? John Cornyn says, mob, mob rule. This is the first confirmation hearing for a Supreme Court justice I've seen, basically, according to mob rule. <laughs> yeah, mob rule, right. Uh, Dick Durbin had the best answer for that, I thought. What we've heard is the noise of democracy. Yes, the noise of democracy. That's what it's all about, John Corden. You wouldn't recognize, of course, if it hit you between the uh, between the eyes. Back to those documents. I thought the other uh, interesting exchange was with Chuck Grassley saying, "What do you mean? Why are you upset about these forty-two thousand pages of documents, or forty-five thousand, whatever it was, that dropped in the middle of the night last night?" Um, our staff has reviewed them all. The majority staff began re- reviewing <laughs> the documents as soon as they arrived and has already completed its review. And Sheldon Whitehouse says, that doesn't pass the BS test. For the record, that's a rate of 7,000 pages per hour. That's superhuman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. The idea that Chuck, Chuck Grassley probably can't even tie his own shoes. <laughs> the idea that he's going to read all those documents on the evening of Labor Day. Yeah. Yeah. Get right. out of here. Right. It's crazy. That the staff did, you know. No. No way. No. No way. Yeah. Uh the, the by by the I thought the Senator Whitehouse did a great job yesterday. Um his statement, he went through I never heard this phrase before, but it's a great phrase. He went through to make the point about how far to the right Kavanaugh would take the court. Uh Senator Whitehouse reviewed the decisions made by a 5-4 vote under the Roberts Court, and he called them the Roberts Five. The Roberts Five. Look what the Roberts Five had done has done to workers. Look what the Roberts Five has done for voting rights. Look what the, down the list. 
look what the Roberts Five has done for women's rights. And he said, you take all of that, it's going to be even more extreme uh, if it gets to a Kavanaugh uh, on the court. Um, but, of course, the Republicans <coughs> uh, picked up one more vote yesterday when uh, Governor Ducey of uh, Arizona, who could have put a McCain kind of maverick independent Republican on the uh, on uh, in the Senate for to fill out the term of John McCain. Instead, he took the safe route. A conservative um, former senator served for 18 years, uh, John Kyle. Uh, no doubt about it. Doug Ducey said, "This is why I want Kyle in there because he'll be a vote for Brett now, Kavanaugh." Now, Senator Kyle can cast a vote for Kavanaugh's confirmation. Kind of no surprise, but a disappointment, and we thought we knew something. There was no way Ducey was going to appoint anybody who would not vote for Kavanaugh. That was the, uh, I'm sure that was the deal ahead of time. And the other big news yesterday, yeah, you have no doubt heard there is yet another book out uh, about the Trump White House, book by um, nation's best investigative reporter, uh, Bob Woodward of uh, Woodward Bernstein Watergate fame, of course. Uh, he's written, I don't know, maybe this is 15 or 18 books about uh, every American president since Richard Nixon. Uh, this one is, is called simply Fear, Donald Trump in the White House. Uh, it comes out next week, and it is explosive in what it says. And, you know, it's very, very, very much um, echoes of the... Michael Wolff book, Fire and Fury, in terms of comments about Donald Trump by the people closest around him. And the, and, and the uh, reports in this book are, are just devastating. Among them, Gary Cohn, former economic advisor, and Rob Porter, the former staff, staff secretary for the president, actually would steal documents. They, they, they were so distrustful and worried of the president and worried about what he might, what crazy things he might do, uh, that he actually would steal documents from his desk so he couldn't see them or couldn't sign them, including one letter that ended a trade deal with South Korea. He wanted to sign it. They were afraid he might sign it. They thought it would be a disaster. They stole the letter. And by the way, Trump never signed it and never even realized it was missing. He has no idea what he's doing. He has no idea what he's doing. No. Right. Sometime he had ordered it. Somebody delivered it. They saw it. They didn't like it. They just stole it. Donald Trump never even knew the or, difference. I mean, just think about like all the different people <laughs> jockeying for uh, and vying for the attention of Donald Trump in the White House, right? Like if yeah. Stephen Miller has some terrible thing that he wants, all he has to do is draft it and just find a way to get on the president's desk. It's not like it's an organized business type environment that we're used yeah. to seeing even yeah. with george w bush yeah right yeah. who did a lot of terrible things and was a war criminal but also like ran a fairly tight ship in the white house right and meanwhile again uh we we learned in uh, michael wolf's book fire and fury that at one point um hr mcmaster who's now the national security advisor uh called uh, the president an idiot a dope and a man with the intelligence of a kindergartner and according to Michael Wolff, and Rex Tillerson never denied it, he called the president after a meeting at the Pentagon an effing moron. Uh, there's more of that in, in Bob Woodward's book. According to Bob Woodward, uh, John Kelly actually called Trump an idiot. 
uh, who had gone off the rails and now says, we're in crazy town now. This John Kelly, the chief of staff. I love how John Kelly also said, this is the worst job I've ever had. And then he said, this is the worst (laughs) job I've ever had. Which I love. It gives me a little bit of pleasure knowing that he's miserable. Uh Uh, John John Dowd, former attorney, he's no longer an attorney, again, according to Woodward, uh, told Trump that if he went ahead and testified to Robert Mueller, he'd be wearing an orange jumpsuit. (laughs) And he also called him reportedly called him an effing liar. Uh, <laughs> Secretary Mattis uh, ignored, tr- apparently, uh, reportedly again, uh, Trump told Mattis he wanted him to have somebody assassinate Syria President Bashar al-Assad. Uh, James Mattis uh, ignored that, but he also told people, according to Bob Woodward, James Mattis, defense secretary, that Donald Trump had the intelligence of a fifth or sixth grader. Now, um, they've been working all night. These are the tweets that came in the middle of the night. John Kelly put out a statement saying, this is all not true. It's all it's all made up. I never said these things. about James Mattis put out a statement saying, this is all fiction. I never said this stuff. Donald Trump is saying it's just a bad book. Uh, Kelly, Sarah Huckabee Sanders says it's all fabricated statements. I trust Bob Woodward. Yeah, no, absolutely. Donald Trump sort of went on a tear last night. He, yeah, he, he yeah. put up, this, as you mentioned, the statement from Mattis, the statement from Kelly, yeah, a statement from out. Sarah Huckabee he, Sanders. He forced them. Yeah. By the way, they were forced to write them, and then Donald Trump puts them out. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. It, it's, I mean, it, this is the this is how he governs. Yeah. They yeah, wrote a statement. Right. They gave it to him, and then he tweeted out a screenshot of it. But then, of course, he had to put his own thing on it. He tweeted last night, The Woodward Brook book has already been refuted and discredited by General Secretary of Defense James Mattis and General Chief of Staff John Kelly. Their quotes were made up frauds, a con on the public. Likewise, other stories and quotes. Woodward is a dim operative. Notice timing. And then he says, he goes on to say in a, in a follow-up tweet, the already discredited Woodward book, so many lies and phony sources, has me calling Jeff Sessions, quote, this is yes, part of the, that's a, right. the, this is a quote, called Jeff Sessions, quote, mentally retarded and a dumb Southerner, end quote. I said neither, never use those terms on anyone, including Jeff, and being a Southerner is a great thing. <laughs> He made this up to divide. Uh, I think Donald Trump doth protest too much. Right? Uh, yeah, maybe. It feels a lot like that. Already discredited? No, it's not. It's not even out yet for what? I mean, for one thing. By who? And, him? A liar? Here, but here, 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 here's the point, right? Michael Wolff wrote a book about the Trump White House, Fire and Fury. What did he find out? The very same thing. The ve- Almost the same quotes and the same picture of a White House in total dis- disarray. We've read that from reporters from the Washington Post, from the New York Times, and now from Bob Woodward. Why is it that every look at the Trump White House comes to the same conclusions about the man and about the White House? Because it's true. It is true. Uh, so this book comes out. And by the way, it's a strange thing. Um that Donald Trump actually called Bob Woodward. They they had a telephone call, and with Trump's permission, Bob Woodward recorded the call where he calls to complain that Woodward, you never came to see me. You never came to talk to me, so maybe I could have set you straight about some of this stuff. And Bob Woodward is making the point, Mr. President, 
I talked to six different people who said they were going to set up a meeting and, and give you my request. Six different people, one of whom was Kellyanne Conway, but Donald Trump's insist he never gets the message until Woodward calls him on it toward the end of the conversation. So it starts out again. Here's Donald Trump insisting, nobody told me. I'll speak to Kellyanne. I am a little surprised that she wouldn't have told me. In fact, she just walked in. I'm talking to Bob Woodward. He said that he told you about speaking to me, but you never told me. Why didn't you tell me? I would have been very happy to speak to him. All right, so what are you going to do? Well, uh, so I have another bad book coming out. That's amazing. So I have another bad book coming out. That's amazing. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Kellyanne Conway, according to Bob Woodward, went over to his office. They had lunch together. The whole purpose of the lunch was to arrange this conversation in the White House with Bob Woodward and Donald Trump and Kellyanne Conway, obviously, never told him. Uh, It continues again. Nobody told me. Nobody told me about it, and I would have loved to have spoken to you. You know I'm very open to you. I think you've always been fair, but we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. You've always been fair, and then, then, like, calls him a Democratic operative. Yeah, and and totally discredited book. And Bob Woodward says, well, um, I even talked to one United States senator— Senator Graham said he had talked to you about talking to me. Now, is that not true? Uh, Senator Graham actually mentioned it quickly. Oh. On the meeting and, we'll you know, that, that is true. <laughs> oh, Senator Graham did mention it. Oh, yeah, but still, uh, they never had the meeting. Anyhow, the book is Fear. Uh, and by the way, it's not the only book about the uh, Trump White House uh, coming out. We'll take a quick break when we come back. Um, we're going to be joined by Elizabeth Beavers from Indivisible. And I'll tell you about the perfect companion book to Bob Woodward's book. It's a twofer coming out next week. Stay tuned. Bill Press Show. We'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. How about it? Here we are, Wednesday, September 5. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you today. Thanks for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show. We are live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. And our studio right here on Capitol Hill, uh, where the Brett Kavanaugh hearing got off to a fiery start uh, yesterday, continues today. Uh, and uh, Democrats uh, making a strong stand, asking for enough time to review all the documents before they're forced to actually... Um, I mean, God forbid that they have a chance to do their homework before mm-hmm. they do their job. And we're, we're brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers, the great men and women of the Iron Workers Union, uh, under the leadership of President Eric Dean, who is our guest on Labor Day here in studio. Uh, the, uh, United, uh, the Iron Workers Union, uh, re- uh, they are building America's communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. If you finally get some infrastructure action out of Congress, check out their website at ironworkers.org. As we mentioned before the break, uh, one of the big stories today uh, rocking the White House is news about Bob Woodward's latest book called Fear uh, and all the revelations about some uh, very damaging things that were said about the President of the United States by his top aides, including his national security advisor, and his chief of staff and the defense secretary, and how it's basically a White House in total disarray. Uh, what are we going to do about it? Uh, that's the the companion book I was telling you about, the companion book to Rob, Bob Woodward's book, Fear, 
uh, companion book, which also comes out on September 11th, is my latest. Here it is. Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump, parentheses, and one to keep him. Uh, but um, I can't believe this, you wrote another book. Didn't you just write a book? It's been six months. <laughs> I mean, Jeez. what was I, What else was I going to do this summer? Fair, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anyhow, this is a strong case for uh, what's got to happen, where I make the case, look, enough is enough. Donald Trump has divided America. He has done so much damage uh, to this country, both here and abroad. He has debased the presidency that we as uh, we as citizens have a duty to step up and do something about it. Uh, in fact, I take my cues from the Declaration. And if you read that great document again, it starts out with three strong points is that we have uh, certain God-given inalienable rights. Uh, one, two, that we are in charge, that our leaders serve uh, at our consent, we elect them, they govern uh, our consent. And three, uh, when those leaders become such, such tyrants or when we're faced with a tyrannical government, we have not only a right but a duty to stand up and overthrow them. Uh, and that's what I think. It's time for that time to do that all over again today. Uh, and, and Thomas Jefferson then concludes by saying there's one first step. And the first step is, he says, let the facts be submitted to a candid world. Well, he was talking about the facts about a tyrannical king. I'm talking about the facts about a tyrannical president. Trump must go. Let me just give you an idea of where we go here. I'll just read. The, these, these are the chapter headings. It, it's, it's all laid out here. If I can, there we go. Number one, Trump's unfit for the job. All the personal disaster that we know that he is. Two, Trump's disastrous acts as president. Three, Trump's war on the environment. Four, Trump fans the flames of racism. Five, Trump's cabinet of thieves. Six, Trump's White House staff. Seven, Trump's America first means America last. Trump's Russian connections. Trump's impeachable offenses. It's all laid out here in great detail. It is chapter and verse of why Trump must go. Um, so, Companion book to Bob Woodward's comes out September 11, and you can don't have to wait till then. You can find out all about it if you go to our website at BillPressShow.com. Uh, the link is up, BillPressShow.com, that tells you uh, all uh, all about the book. Uh, check it out and um, join the join the club. In fact, by the way, of course the book is already obsolete. This is the top 100 reasons as of. Um, about six weeks ago when I had to submit the final manuscript, maybe a little bit more. By the way, I, I forgot to – I also did the audio book of this, which, uh, Peter, I've never never done before. Five days, oh, six boy. hours a day it took to read the book. But anyway, the audio version is also out, uh, will be at any rate. But, um, the, uh, but, but check out the website at, uh, at BillPressShow.com. Dot com and I'll tell you all about uh, the more 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 about the book uh, coming out next week. Uh, and now let's move on to more of the important issues of the day. Um, we saw up what happened in um, 
Massachusetts yesterday. There is so much with the, the victory of Ayanna Presley over Mike Capuano. There is so much energy. There is so much just momentum uh, on the progressive side of the Democratic Party today. It's so exciting. We saw it in Florida last week. We've seen it in Georgia. We've seen it in Maryland, uh, in the Queens, all across the country, and last night in Massachusetts. And one of the organizations uh, that is uh, in the forefront of getting people involved and getting people committed uh, is Indivisible. Great organization. We've talked to some of the leadership before. And Elizabeth Beavers from Indivisible, Associate Policy Director, joins us in studio. Elizabeth, it's good to see you. So good to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming in. So you work on the policy side Mm -hmm. of uh, Indivisible, right? Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. the, the, a a lot of your people are involved in these different races, political, yeah, uh, supporting yeah. candidates, identifying candidate, recruiting, identifying supporting candidates mm-hmm. for office, mm-hmm. and then then some of the others of you working on the issues, yeah. right, the policy side of it. Uh, there's probably never been such a clash of issues, well, recently, the, the, as there is with the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh mm-hmm. to the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and we saw all of that erupt yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see it? What are the main issues in this battle? Right. So when Trump chose Brett Kavanaugh, you know, we had, I think, like every other organization that was ready to to fight on this had been sort of doing our background research about all the various people on his shortlist. Um, Just by the fact that Brett Kavanaugh came from Trump's shortlist, you already know two things about him. Uh, Trump's shortlist was pre-approved by far-right groups like the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation because of their willingness to gut reproductive rights, because of their willingness to uh, overturn and hurt the Affordable Care Act. Those are two things we already knew about him. But what was really interesting about this pick is Brett Kavanaugh is someone who has these really sort of extreme ideas about presidential power. And of all the anti-choice candidates that Trump could have chosen, it really spoke volumes that he chose Brett Kavanaugh. He is the sort of person one might choose if they wanted to insulate themselves from accountability. Mm-hmm. Brett Kavanaugh is a really cravenly partisan choice who is on the record as believing sitting presidents <coughs> not only it's very well publicized. He thinks they shouldn't be indicted, but he thinks they shouldn't even be investigated. Uh, he thinks they should have really wide latitude to hire and fire special counsels. So for a number of reasons, I think particularly after what happened a couple of weeks ago with Manafort and, and Cohen and the things that are emerging about Trump's sort of personal liability and a number of things, um, those are some of the things that are really resonating with our movement and some of the reasons people are really concerned. Do you think, pardon me, do you think Trump did that knowingly? No, I mean, knowing he may be in legal jeopardy and needed some... Uh, sort of a, a vote that would protect him on the Supreme Court? Sure. I, I mean, I, I, of it is well known, right, that this choice is going to shift the balance of the Supreme Court. And on a number of the sort of check-the-box conservative issues of the day, Brett Kavanaugh falls in line with the rest of the list. But what set him apart from that list uh, was these ideas that he had about presidential power and the the key role that he has played in partisan politics and in sort of hyper loyalty tribalism in the past? Um, there's every reason to think that the Supreme Court may rule on something involving Trump himself. It could be a question of whether he can pardon himself, whether he can pardon key witnesses, whether he can be indicted. A number of different things. Whether he has to answer a subpoena. Exactly, a number of things are 
probably going to make their way to the Supreme Court at some point. Could result from the Mueller investigation, could be from something else. Um, So as soon as we heard Kavanaugh's name, it was that sort of instant. That was the thing that set him apart, and it felt very deliberate. So you have, um, there were several people on that list, as you point out. Mm -hmm. They probably all would be, so women's reproductive Mm -hmm. rights, check Mm -hmm. that box, Mm -hmm. probably all of them would vote the same way. To get on the list, it was a prereq, yes. Right. Um, Healthcare, Mm -hmm. Obamacare, Mm -hmm. they would all probably you could count on all of them to vote against that, right? right. Or to, to, for, to repeal yes. or whatever sure. against Obamacare. Yeah. But the one thing that set Kavanaugh aside mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. when it comes to the president being above the law, that's his baby. He's very well on the record on that, exactly. And that's the thing that sets him apart. And so, um, you know, we can take Trump's own words on a number of these things. Trump told us that, you know, my judges, if confirmed, will automatically overturn Roe. Um, they'll do yeah. the right thing on Obamacare. We know that anyone he chose, that that's just sort of went without saying. A Trump choice would fall into those categories. But Kavanaugh was the interesting well, one from, and the really kind of dangerous one from the presidential powers and, and shielding from accountability standpoint. So what's the flap over the documents? I mean, yeah. there were 450,000 pages of documents released. Mm-hmm. Uh, isn't that enough? So, you know... Bill, I have to tell you, I have some complicated feelings about these documents. Uh, To be very candid with you, I think that Democratic leadership is choosing to engage in a documents fight instead of a real nomination fight. And I think that part of that comes from a political miscalculation that whipping the caucus and holding them together on this would put some of the more vulnerable Democrats in peril for their reelection and I think that Schumer has sort of uh, telegraphed down to his caucus that the way to look like they're really fighting is to make a big fuss over these documents. And so, look, we are in full agreement. The Republican Party is are just complete hypocrites on the entire way this process has gone forward. It's been a partisan sham. It is also true that we should see everything we possibly can about this person's record. Um, but look. Democrats don't have agenda-setting power here. Mitch McConnell cannot be shamed. He will not be shamed. Chuck Grassley will plow this thing forward no matter what. So at some point, they have to stop talking about documents, and they have to start talking about why they're voting no. And that's what we've been really disappointed is there's quite a few of them have not made that pivot yet. Right. Uh, Senator Feinstein uh, yesterday uh, at at the hearing um, made the point, which I think had to be made, uh, is the stark contrast to how Republicans, Mitch McConnell particularly, are moving with Brett Kavanaugh compared to the previous uh, nominee for the Supreme right. Court under President Obama. Mm-hmm. Here's Senator Feinstein. When Justice Scalia died, Republicans refused to even meet, even a meeting in their office with President Obama's nominee and held the seat open for one year. Now with a Republican in the White House... They've changed their position. And they've got to be held accountable for it, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's cravenly partisan tribalism. It's such hypocrisy. It's absolutely absurd that this is a stolen Supreme Court seat that we're working with, right? Um, That seat rightfully belonged to President Obama to fill, and they denied him of that. And so the problem, of course, is that Republicans still control the Senate, and this is the kind of thing they can do when they control the Senate. And so, um, you know, one thing I will say is that for us, this has always been a two-part strategy. You mentioned before we're involved not just on the policy side but on the political side. 
And we think that to really win this fight, there's really kind of a two-part strategy. One is obviously we have to get enough senators to vote against this guy. But we also have to flip the Senate uh, because these things can and will keep happening. Republicans have shown us very clearly what they do when they're in power, and they're going to continue to skirt norms and to skip regular order and to uh, engage in hyperpartisanship, and that's the way it's going to happen. So we have to flip the Senate if we're really going to save the Supreme Court truly for a generation to come. When you say that Democrats should pay less attention, I don't don't mean to put words in your mouth, but paraphrasing, that Democrats should pay less attention to documents, not no attention, but maybe less attention to documents and more attention to policy. What particular policies? Well, and, and is the presidential power the one you mentioned? That's the key. It, it's believe? a huge thing. Well, but I, I actually, you know, I think it's even more narrow than that, if I may. I think that um, it's it's not even just documents or policy. I think it's just so what are they going to do about it? And the fact that they are facing historic, unprecedented, complete obstructionism and hypocrisy from the Senate Republicans who control the way mm-hmm. everything is happening. Um, I I think I said the other day, Chuck Schumer is bringing a FOIA request to a knife fight, right? Like this is this is the, we're not playing on an even playing field here, and the idea that Republicans are going to be shamed by halting a process because we need more documents is clearly yeah. not going to happen. And right. so there is. Um, so what should they be talking about? They should about? be talking about why they're voting no, and there are a lot of reasons for them to vote no, and more than twenty still have not pledged to vote no. And I think that signals to people on the ground, to a lot of our more activists. More than 20 yeah. Democrats? Yes. more than, And we have, um, if people want to look at the running count, we update yeah. this multiple times a day, whipthevote.org. Uh, we partnered with a number of other organizations to put together sort of a running whip list of which Democrats have explicitly said, I'm going to vote no. And that's at whipthevote.org. And so more than 20 of them, a number of them who are making a big fuss about these documents, we're still not hearing, so what are you going to do about it? And the one thing they can do is vote no. Peter, why don't we check, uh, uh, while we're talking, if you might check that list. It'd be interesting to see who's on the list of those who have not, who's missing. Yeah, 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 for With sure. With the vote dot, dot org. Maybe we can uh, put some pressure. Pr- pr- uh, Terrific. Put some, put some pressure on, too. Um, so what is in, in, what are you doing with your members around yeah. the country? How many members does Indivisible have now? You know, we're still trying to, Get a good number on that. Uh, they yeah. are we. There are thousands of groups. There are more than five thousand groups across the country. Really, mm-hmm. indivisible groups. Yep, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, um, what no, I keep yeah. hearing about them everywhere yeah. I go. People yeah. are volunteering for indivisible. I mean, it's 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 really happening. They amaze me constantly, yeah. and I'm surprised. I'm from rural North Carolina, and even when I I was just home visiting over the weekend, there are indivisible groups everywhere in places mm-hmm. where I never would have imagined. Mm-hmm. And it's really incredible this movement has hit from the reddest of reds to the bluest of blues part of the state. Um, so for the states. And so so what we've done is we've tried to encourage people to stick with our theory of change, which is organize locally, show up in person, focus on your member of Congress and make a really clean and clear ask. And the whole time our ask has been, tell us you're going to vote no. We want to hear that you're going to vote no. And I think a lot of people are comparing this rightly in some ways, wrongly in other ways, to the healthcare fight that happened yeah. last year um, and trying to compare energy levels or, um, you know, just the way all things went out. And, you know, on the healthcare fight, Democrats lined up in opposition almost from day one. It was very clear that this was Democrats were ready to fight. They were going to work to save our health care. Uh, they were 
they we they could be counted upon to vote no, and so we could focus on potentially flippable Republicans to have a shot at winning. And that's been a significant disadvantage from an organizing standpoint this time, is because there are so many Democrats who still have not said no. It makes it way harder to get someone's like what Susan Collins. They, what the yeah. hell are they waiting for? Yeah, it's a good question. By the way, CNN has has compiled a big list of all the people who who have not taken a stand or have not said no, and a lot yeah. of them, uh, shockingly, are <laughs> red state Democrats: yeah. Bill Nelson, John Tester, Joe Donnelly. But uh, there are also people like um, Tammy Duckworth, Brian Schatz, uh, uh, Tammy Baldwin. Um, well, uh, so it, it's sort of all over the place. So it's, I think if you if you take a look at our list from WhipTheVote.org, we actually had Brian Schatz come out in opposition just yesterday, Oh, uh, right. nice. which is really okay, great. Right. Um, yeah. And I do want to say Tammy Baldwin is out. So if, if you take a look at, at our list, I think what's really surprising is actually most of them are not red state Democrats, and most of them are not on the Judiciary Committee. Um, and that has been a consistent thing we've heard. Well, you know, Judiciary Democrats, people on the committee, they have to withhold their position in order to have leverage on these documents, which is... Yeah. Silly, because they don't have any leverage on these documents, and these documents are not going to happen. They're not going to get these documents. And here's the thing. We already know plenty about this guy to justify a, a no vote. Right. Yes, we need to see his full record, if at all possible, but the Republicans are clearly not going to give us that. So the next step is then to say you're going to vote no. So there are a number of people. Um, I believe Mark Warner's not out yet. Um, again, it was surprising that we just got Brian Schatz yesterday from a very safe place in Hawaii, who is not right. at all yeah. in jeopardy of coming out in opposition um, there are a number of folks still on the Judiciary Committee. There are a few others. So um, there are about, we started last week with, I think, two dozen who still hadn't come out, and we're down to about 22 now, I think. But still, like Tammy Duckworth, I don't understand. I mean. Tammy, Tammy so, it, she, yeah, it, she, I'm not sure if she's actually on our list as someone who hasn't come out yet. So yeah. um, if we look at whipthevote.org, whip and we've got vote. a link to okay. our spreadsheet there, yeah. um, there, there are quite a few there. Great. So what does this say overall, then, about the leadership of the Democratic Party mm -hmm. from the point of indivisible. I mean, yeah, you know, this it, is indivisible on the left and progressives, but not necessarily the same as the DNC, right? Or no, not at all, yeah. right? Yeah, right. we're independent progressives. Independent progressives. So mm -hmm. when you look at the leadership of the Democratic Party, uh, you're satisfied or you think it needs a shakeup? Or we're incredibly dissatisfied. We're disappointed and we're frustrated. Uh, this is not the first fight that is going to shape millions of people's lives that Chuck Schumer has decided to wholly sit out. And uh, from a number of fights this year, there was a, a banking deregulation bill that made its way through the Senate. Schumer chose not to whip the caucus to hold back Wall Street. Um, there was a there were a couple of cabinet battles that were totally winnable if the Democrats just stood together. Gina Haspel for CIA director mm -hmm, was mm -hmm, one, someone who mm -hmm. not just was involved in torture memos, but actively was in the field helping to torture people during the Bush yeah, administration. Right? Yeah, she was in charge of one of those prisons. should have been a pretty you know low-hanging fruit for Democrats to oppose, but instead we lost seven Democrats on that fight, and Chuck Schumer chose to not whip the vote. Um, that's why we titled the site the way we did. Um, and so there are a number of fights that he has just chosen to completely set out. And so, you know, we think that, A, that's a it's totally inexcusable. These things are going to affect millions of people's lives for, I mean, this is the Supreme Court. Everything 
Mm -hmm. Everything runs through the Supreme Court. It's going to affect us for a generation to come. Um, But also, we really do think it's a political miscalculation. He seems to be approaching this from a strategy that uh, red state Democrats have to do what they're going to do, and we're just going to let them do what they need to do to get reelected. And something we think he's missing there, and, and part of this, you know, nearly two dozen Democrats who haven't come out, is that those more vulnerable Democrats need political cover to take something that may or may not be a bold vote. Now, I think it's debatable if this is really that bold of a vote for them back with their base, if this is really something that would swing their election. I think there's a lot of polling to suggest otherwise. I've made Um, that point several times. But if, if, if we're waiting on, you know, Joe Manchin to come out in opposition, but we still don't have Brian Schatz, why would that happen, right? Or even further beyond that, if we're trying to swing Murkowski or Collins, why would they come out before 20 or so Democrats? So it's about momentum and it's about political cover for those who might be a little more vulnerable. Um, and that is literally and, his job as leader. And it's about Chuck uh, Schumer getting some uh, getting some backbone. Indivisible.org is where to go, right? That's right. To check things out. Yes. Indivisible.org. And also you can check that with the vote.org. Yes. Elizabeth, thanks for coming thanks in. Thanks for All having right. me. Great to see you. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. According to Bob Woodward, Defense Secretary James Mattis says Donald Trump has the intelligence of a fifth or sixth grader. And that was one of the nice things that uh, the top aides of Donald Trump said about him. And one we can repeat on the air. Most of them we can't. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you. Here we go on a Wednesday Wednesday, September 5, it is the Bill Press Show, and we are coming to you live, as always, from our nation's capital, uh, where there was a lot going on yesterday, a really chaotic, explosive, uh, and yet very exciting uh, hearing of the Senate Judiciary Committee, the first day of hearings on uh, uh, the Donald Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, where Democrats said, you're ramming this through, rushing it through, before we even have a chance to consider all of the evidence. Um, But um, Republicans just barreled ahead. Uh, At any rate, the Democrats did make their point. And a very exciting uh, congressional uh, race yesterday on the primary up in Massachusetts. Another big win for progressives with Ayanna Presley knocking off a uh, 10-term Democrat, a good guy, Michael Capuano, but the people of that district just said it's time to and for a new generation of leadership. To take us through a lot of the issues of the day, we're pleased to welcome back to the studio our good friend from the Democratic National Committee, Communications Director, Soshi Inohasa. 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 Yeah. Inohasa, sorry. 
It's no a, worries. It's a mouthful. <laughs> it is a mouthful. <laughs> nice to see you, so Nice to see you, too, Thanks Bill. so much for coming back Thanks in. Thanks for okay. having me. Lots to catch up on, for sure. Yes. And we want to hear from you and your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. But first... This is Peter the Burn Full here. Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, this is the wrong question for you, but uh, have you changed your relationship with Facebook? I know you never really have been a Facebooker, but a lot no. of Americans are. But we cha- Facebook. Yeah, it's we do. A, the show has yeah. a Facebook page. Right. right. Uh, but a lot of people have changed My people the way. Yes, exactly. You got people for that. You got people for that. A lot of Americans have changed the way that they use Facebook. In fact, a new survey came out from Pew Research Center that says that 42% of Facebook users have taken a break from the site in the past year. Now, this has a lot to do with privacy and Facebook mm-hmm. sort of sharing your yeah. personal information. Uh, 42% said that they have taken a break from the from the site. Uh, in fact, 74% of those people say that they have taken a complete and total break from Facebook altogether. Uh, others have said that they've just adjusted their privacy setting or they've like uninstalled the app from their phone, but they still check it on the website, uh, things like that. But the bottom line is we have become skeptical of the way that we use social media and the way that they share our information. And so less people are actually using Facebook the way that they used to. Uh, I think that's smart. And I think, I agree. Yeah. I agree. This is a sad story, uh, by the way. BirdLife International just put out a new statistical analysis saying that there have been eight different endangered birds, eight species of endangered birds that are now extinct. Whoa. A lot of this has to do with the deforestation in South America. And, uh, again, eight different types of tropical birds because of this. And they said these are the first uh, extinct animals that we've had in uh, this decade. Mm. So, or, or should I say this year, in this year. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. Uh, also, Amazon yesterday, their value crossed the trillion-dollar mark. Uh, basically, what it comes down to, a lot of people want to buy what they're selling. Yeah. <laughs> they're making a lot of they money. They went over a trillion and they fell back, but yeah. but still, they reached it. They reached it. And only the second company to do so, the other is Apple, Yeah, uh, which was just last month. Yeah, right? just last month they did it. And right. so they're saying, by the way, that Amazon really shows no signs of slowing down. So this could, this could be the new normal. Neither does Apple. Neither does Apple. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Explosive new book by Bob Woodward. Uh, You won't believe some of the things that John Kelly and James Mattis and others around the White House say about the man they work for. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, September 5. Uh, Great to see you here. And welcome to the Bill Press Show as we come to you live coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Joining you... Every way we can, online, on YouTube, youtube.com slash at the Bill Press Show, all around the globe. Joining us coast to coast on television, on Free Speech TV, and how about it, out in the greater Chicago area, it's good to be with you on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago, and to welcome 
here in studio with us, the Communications Director of the Democratic National Committee, Soshi Inahosa, um, back to see us again and bring us up to date on some of the political news of the day. Soshi, good to see you. Good to be with you. Thanks for We've having been, me. We've uh, been uh, following uh, the president, who is very upset about this uh, Woodward book called Fear, uh, which comes out next week. Uh, while we were talking about it, I just noticed during the break he tweeted yet again. He's been tweeting all night long about this. He he forced James Mattis to write a statement denying the stuff that he's quoted as saying about the president, that he is um, has the intelligence of a fifth or sixth grader. Uh, and the president retweeted James Mattis' statement. Then John Kelly was forced to write a statement saying, uh, I never called him an effing idiot. Um, and then Donald Trump tweeted that out. Now he's saying, quote, isn't it a shame isn't it a shame that some someone can write an article or book, totally make up stories, and form a picture of a person that is literally the exact opposite of the fact and get away with it without retribution or cost? Don't know why the Washington politicians don't change libel laws. There again. <laughs> He's, it is kind of laughable, isn't it? It is kind of laughable. He's gone there before, right? If anybody says anything bad about me, then we have to be able to sue them for libel. I mean. He's so predictable when it is, comes to. He, he, really he is. is. He is very predictable. <laughs> he, he, people know how to get under his skin now. Anytime you go after his intelligence, anything like that. I mean, I think that's why he goes after people's intelligence as well. You know, he attacks all sorts of folks um, on Twitter, and that's how what he does every day. But when it comes to him and criticism, criticisms of him, he can't handle it. I mean, and and, and the, the, the fact of it is that um, Bob Woodward's book, which I haven't read yet, but read a lot about in the last uh, 24 hours, um, it confirms and repeats everything that we read about in Michael Wolff's book, Fire and Fury, everything we've read about in Amorosa's book, too. And, oh, I'm sorry. Amorosa's book, right? And anything we've read about the people who cover the White House for the for what basically I've observed in my time down there at the briefings, um, but those who cover it in more in, in more in depth with the New York Times and the Washington mm -hmm. Post, it's the same picture. It's mm -hmm. a White House. It's a person in charge who has no idea what he's doing, totally unfit for the job, totally unqualified, uh, lost at sea, basically, and a White House that's in total disarray, total chaos. I mean, that is... Don't you see what's happening, Bill? Omarosa and Michael Wolff <laughs> and Bob Woodward have, are, are all conspiring against the president. It's very clear. They're probably, so she, on the payroll of the DNC, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, you would think, right? Uh, they, and all joking aside, I think that it's really frightening to me to see that our president is so thin-skinned. If you are a foreign leader or a leader, you know, trying to go after our country or, you know, just take a look at our president. Right. And it's it's something that he just continues to any time that you attack him, anytime the media attacks him. It's crazy how much he cares about that versus the actual issues happening around our country. Um, and it really just says a lot how former staffers from the White House are coming out and writing these books and also just spilling beans about him. You didn't see that in the Obama White House. Uh, you didn't no. really even see that in the Bush White House, right? Mm. And this is – we're not even in the first term yet. So No, exactly. Uh, and as if the president did have, didn't have enough to worry about, uh, I want to give him something else to worry about, which is uh, my latest book. It comes out next week. 
Uh, speaking of a White House in disarray, um, what I say is we've got to do something about it. My book is Trump Must Go. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump, and by the way, one to keep him. I'll let you guess about that. But um, this is this is an indictment. This is the I make the case here. I think with 100 ways of all the damage that Donald Trump has already done, and all the reasons why enough is enough. We cannot stand this anymore. Uh, we've had 18 months of it. We can't take another six months. Take another year. Take another two years. No, no, no. Trump must go now. Uh, check out our website, BillPressShow.com, to find out more about it. it comes out uh, next week. Um, it's uh, I think. It's very well documented, 200 pages of notes to back up everything. Uh, this, the, you want to make the case, uh, go, go into court and make the case, the evidence of why Donald Trump has to go. Here it is. Trump must go. So, Soshi, let's, what's going on? Here we go. Massachusetts last night. Massachusetts. It Ayanna was... Presley. By the way, who's been a guest on the Bill Press show? I, like almost two years to almost the day. Two it years was, ago, it was at the DNC in Philadelphia. It's another another person whose political career was launched right here on the Bill Press <laughs> Show. We take full credit for the fact that she had such a big win uh, last night. But anyhow, she's great, and uh, now she's going to be the next congresswoman from Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Historic win. That is a historic win. Every um, uh, folks were tweeting yesterday that you know. Tuesday, the main takeaway is that a woman won, you know, and it was a, a young, diverse woman who um, won and is now going to Congress. Um, but I think that's the takeaway now every Tuesday. I see that every Tuesday we are electing young, dynamic leaders um, who are diverse and represent our party. Um, I There was a tweet last night that made me laugh that was the Republican Party is getting older, right? And is is getting older by the day while the Democratic Party is getting younger by the day, right? And this is this happened last night. I think that a lot of people, you know, were surprised. I wasn't surprised. I think that's a great thing. The fact that we are electing leaders that represent us and that represent the actual district. And that's how we end up winning. And frankly, that's how we bring more people into our party. I think that whenever you have younger leaders and you have dynamic leaders who are outspoken and really getting stuff done, um, as she did as a councilwoman, then I think that you have younger leaders coming into the party and voting. And so I think that's something you didn't see in 2016. I think a lot of people stayed home because they thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. I think that's what people, you know, for several years now would win, would potentially vote for the top end of the, t- the ticket, Barack Obama, but they weren't voting in congressional races. They weren't voting in city council races. And now that's all changing. And so the real question is, how is this going to translate to November, right? She's in a safe district, but are these... Safe district? There's no Republican running against <laughs> there, there is no There's Republican. There's not even a Republican <laughs> candidate. Yeah. She's it's... that good. <laughs> um, but there, you know, it'll be interesting to see, do people turn out the way that we need them to in November. And I think that that is something that keeps me up at night. Um, But at the same time, it gives me hope that these last few elections, if you just look at what happened in Florida with Andrew Gillum specifically, he is poised to make history there. But then you also have, for the first time, three African-Americans running for governor, um, Ben Jealous, Stacey Abrams, and Andrew Gillum. That's huge. We've never had an African-American woman be our governor in the United States. And we are in 2018. That's, that's insane. And so I think that 
we're going to see a lot of history. If if the trends hold, we will see a lot of history in November. But it, I mean, across the board, it is very exciting. You mentioned Andrew Gillum, Stacey Abrams, um, Ben Jealous in Maryland. Um, there, we will see the first Native American from ever in the woman in the United States Congress, mm-hmm. uh, Deb Holland, mm-hmm. Holland out in um, uh, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. I forget her name now, but the first Muslim American woman from Minnesota mm-hmm. who will win that, win that race. And so the diversity and the youth, uh, and particularly among women mm-hmm. of the Democratic candidates. Uh, something's going on, right? I mean, Something there's no is going doubt on. about it. Something is going on. Um, and not only from where I'm from in, in Texas, um, we're oh, sending two Latinas, better Auroric, and we're also sending two Latinas to Congress. And that hasn't happened before. A place like Texas, which is extremely diverse, has a large Latino population. You you know, one would think that you would have sent many Latinas to Congress, but that isn't the case. And you have Beto O'Rourke, who is in one point within Ted Cruz in Texas. That's crazy. You know, we're talking about a Republican stronghold that Ted Cruz is having a really hard time holding on to. And so I think that there will be a lot of surprises in November, but only if we all go out and vote. Well, the, 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 the sign, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, the sign that Ted Cruz is getting desperate is the latest ad he put up uh, attacking Beto O'Rourke for dropping the F-bomb, right? As if the leader of the Republican Party, right, isn't the master of foul language. I love the ad that he put out because yeah. it makes Beto O'Rourke look cool as hell. <laughs> and like, again, this is Texas. They sort of like, they do their own thing out there, right? Like this, they're not going to be offended by someone using naughty language. Definitely not. Did you meet Ann Richards? Yeah. She <laughs> Has anyone met Ann Richards? She was elected our governor as a Democrat and would use foul language all of the time, right? And that didn't stop her from getting elected. Oh, she's one of my favorite people of all time. Definitely. Oh, yeah, Ann Richards. I, I read this story this morning about Beto O'Rourke, just a little thing. He was on the... He's he's got this pickup truck, right? He's going to how many counties in Texas? He's Two, been to all of them. Two hundred, two hundred, yeah, four, something like <laughs> yeah. that. It's been to every one of them multiple times. Yes. Some of them, and he was on the road, and he's like running out of gas in a pickup truck, and they pull in this gas station. He says, "Oh, let's have some fun with this." And so they put it up like on Twitter about for people who could guess how much it would cost him to fill up his truck. And it turned out to be like $91.40. I don't know what kind of a truck he's got. I just, it's stuck in my head. And then he asked people to say, okay, you want to make a contribution to help pay for my gas to get me to the next town and the next rally, right? And he's just that kind of creative end of it. People love it. It's just, People it's love so it. Real, yeah. You know? He filmed um, an ad on um, his iPhone. Um, and then he's also driving himself around everywhere. Yeah, I think I yeah, was talking to a right. reporter the other day and they said the most fascinating thing is going on the campaign trail with him because he's doing call time. You know, he is. But and then and then when he's not doing call time, he's driving himself everywhere. He doesn't want a staffer to drive him, giving does. interviews as he's driving. And he is someone who is just he is determined to be the next senator of Texas. Uh, and I have never seen someone work so hard as Beto. I'll give a quick plug. We had Ben Terrace on the show from the Washington Post on Friday who just mm-hmm. put his big piece up on uh, on Beto O'Rourke. That's He's, probably the one I read That's this probably morning. the one you read. Yeah, yeah we, yeah, we, we had right, been on the show right. last week, and he was talking about he spent a lot of time with him. And mm-hmm. he said the guy is a machine. He's just a machine. Yeah. 
Uh, I want to come back to um, uh, this, uh, uh, Ayanna Presley for just a second because her message was very unusual. Um, and she talked about it last night. You know, in the case of um, Mike Capuano, mm-hmm. right? As a good guy, he's a great congressman, right vote. It's like nothing wrong with him. Mm-hmm. But he is another generation, and he's been around a while. Uh, and that was a point that Anna Presley made, which I think has reverberates around the country, is she said uh, last night to her crowd, you know, uh, just voting for another Democrat is not enough. It's not just good enough to see the Democrats back in power, but it matters who those Democrats are. And she said, you know, uh, the, the tradition has been sort of, well, we have to wait our turn, right? We have to let these guys serve as long as they want to. It's only when they're ready to step aside that we can make a move. She doesn't buy that. Here she is. Change can't wait. For our brothers and sisters behind the wall, change can't wait. <laughs> to our immigrants worried about the knock on the door, change can't wait. Now's the time, right? Now's the time. Powerful message. Powerful message. Definitely. Um, And I think that and it goes to show why, you know, the Democratic Party, we had terrible losses in 2016. But I think that she is right. In order to bring these people back into the party and in order to win, you have to embrace that new generation and you have to embrace younger leadership. And we have record women running. Right. And anytime you have a woman, especially a woman on the woman of color on the ballot, you see them winning. And so and someone was telling me um, that it's not only women voting for women, but it's also men who are coming out and voting for women. Yeah. And this is a trend that a lot of people don't talk about. But it's not just that, you know, yes, women are marching the streets and they're running for office and they're voting in record numbers. But men also want to see women in power, too. And mm-hmm. so I think that this is a trend that is holding. And if I were Donald Trump, I would be terrified about this because he's the one that's sort of causing and is really motivating people to get out there and make their voices heard. Do you so you mentioned turnout um, there? There's certainly the energy, the momentum is all on the left, I think, these days. But it does depend. If they don't turn out to vote in November, it's all a waste, mm-hmm. right? What's the DNC doing to, uh, to you know, to, to encourage people to, to – what are you doing about voter turnout? So you know this, but during midterm or elections – GOTV. GOTV. Yeah. You know this, Get but during midterm elections, we always see a fall in know, turnout. It's terrible. People historically, don't – Historically, you right. always tend to see a drop-off from the presidential Will elections. Will it be different this year? Well, that is what we're trying to do. And um, right now is we, – what we've been doing is at the DNC is organizing in all 50 states. But not only that, is getting people to commit to vote – Early on in the year, what we've noticed is when I go to um, when I go knock on your door or when I'm talking to you at the supermarket or however we're engaging voters, whenever we do that and we ask them, "Okay, will you commit to vote and sign this card here and to vote in November? 
that when people actually commit and tell us, they are more likely to vote. They're giving us their word, right? Mm -hmm. And so we are doing that early on to make this a culture that people actually go vote. It is your civic duty to do that. So that is how we are engaging people. We're also investing in a lot of these states that have critical elections, not only at the top of the ballot, but you know, when you're looking down ballot races too, how can the DNC make the, you know, get the biggest bang for our buck in some of these states? And so we have invested in Georgia. Um, We have, we had invested actually in Massachusetts. Um, And we are, there are a number of states where there are state legislative chambers too, where we can also flip Mm where the top of the ticket Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. extremely critical. The other thing that we have seen over the last few years is that Democrats are leading the voter registration advantage. This is huge because I think this is an area where Republicans are finally starting to realize that if they're going to hold on to their majorities, the presidency, that they need to catch up when it comes to voter registration. Places like Nevada. Nevada is a excellent example of how Democrats have had the voter registration advantage for a long time. And because of that, Republicans haven't been able to win. And now Dean Heller is in a terrible position and one of the most vulnerable Republican senators Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this cycle because of that voter registration advantage. So we're trying to keep that up as much as possible, investing in places like Nevada, where we know Republicans are trying to make inroads. But the overall voter registration advantage, whenever we register people, they want to come out and vote for the first time because that's the first time that they are allowed to do so. And so a lot of it is making sure that if you just turned 18 is registering these folks, especially around what we've seen around the Parkland students and a lot of students finally getting involved for the first time and really caring about politics in their communities. So there are a lot of different pieces to this, um, and it is engagement, and it's engagement that is early on instead of just engaging voters in October when, frankly, they've tuned out a lot of this stuff already and they're not as invested. You mentioned the Parkland students. Um just sort of as a tangent, but um, I thought one of the most telling moments in the Kavanaugh hearing yesterday was when the father of one of the girls killed uh, at Parkland High School, uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Mm -hmm. High School, uh, came up and introduced himself to Brett Kavanaugh and wanted to shake his hand, and Kavanaugh just stared at him and turned and walked away. Didn't Didn't even say a word. I mean, it's just stunning. What's he thinking? I mean, the guy, he's a grieving father, and they wanted to make a point. I guess that my I lost my daughter, and I hope you will consider voting the right way on gun safety or something, whatever. I mean, the guy was I mean, you, dressed. You had, I mean, he wasn't a terrorist, for God's sake. He shouldn't be partisan. Yeah, No, absolutely. No. You have to consider no. the fact that at some point, the Supreme Court is going to have to do yeah. something about yeah. gun violence. Yeah. yeah. Full stop. That's right. it's go, it's coming. Right. It's coming. He's going to have to cast that vote, and that's just one guy. I'm sure he just wanted to say, I just take for my sake, please consider this. Right, what happened to me and other families? And he wouldn't even give him the dignity of saying, "I'm very sorry." It would be awfully hard to get the uh, endorsement and the support of the NRA if you're seen being nice to someone who lost someone uh, to gun violence and wants to see the gun laws changed in America. Yeah.
Or, I, or shaking his hand. Yeah. God forbid. Yeah. Right. And I have some bad news for Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. but if he thinks that shaking someone's hand is a tough decision and is tough, <laughs> wait until he is on the court making decisions for our entire country. You can't even shake a man's hand who lost a child. I mean, give me a break. That is ridiculous. This is a this is a father. This is someone who has, you know, who has experienced grief and you can't even have an, a conversation as an adult. I mean, that is it's ridiculous. Right. So um, uh, you had a, a very exciting DNC meeting in Chicago uh, a couple of weeks ago now, right? Yes. Big changes in the party rules. Big changes in the party. How rules. are they going to impact impact going forward the midterms or twenty uh, twenty? Well, what happened? There are four areas um, that there are major changes, but let me just talk about the the larger areas that I think people will will really see changes immediately. Um, one is in in superdelegates. Now, superdelegates have always been painted as, you know, they are overturning the will of the people. Superdelegates are coming in and they have decided the presidential election even before any votes are cast. Well, we're removing that perception because we understand this is a trust issue in our party. Um, whether or not they have influenced any election, which they haven't before, um, is one thing. It's more of a perception issue. So now superdelegates won't be able to vote on the first round of voting at our convention unless the Democratic nominee comes in with enough votes that superdelegates yeah. can't overturn yeah. the will of the people. Yeah. Um, I think this is huge. I think this is big because it goes back to regaining goes back to bringing in younger people and it goes back to just what the Democratic Party is all about. Right. And so this is something that I think took a lot of work on Tom Perez's part. You know, it wasn't just the Bernie supporters versus the Hillary supporters. It was sort of it won by an overwhelming amount at the DNC, which gives me a lot of hope. And it, it I think is great for our party. But the other sort of big changes that don't really aren't really talked about as much, if you're looking at caucuses specifically, you know, caucuses are great. They can motivate people in the party. But when it comes to workers, if you are working the night shift and especially if you are working in the casino industry in Nevada, you can't go caucus unless you have unless you win the employer lottery. Right. And you and your boss allows you to go and caucus. But that rarely happens. They are, caucuses are not democratic. I mean, I've been on this horse for a riding this horse for a long time. They are not. I mean, who has three hours? I mean, you're lucky if you you can squeeze in between taking care of your kids, picking up your kids, dropping them off, getting home from work, whatever. Right? Helping. You're lucky if you got five minutes to go out and vote or ten minutes to go out and vote. Right? The idea that you can go for three hours and go through this whole meeting and listen to these other. I mean, no. I'm sorry. It may have worked at one time, you know, in a town hall and the colonies. <laughs> <laughs> well, that worked today, and so I'm I'm really glad that the party moved to to, to strike down these caucuses. Well, and we're moving and, to and more like primaries. military military member members of the military can't vote because they're. They can't get there. Right? Yeah. Just... And that's been a big problem. And we will still still see caucuses in places like Iowa and Nevada. But you have to allow for absentee voting, which I think makes our party more inclusive. Um, and then for the states that had there are states that had caucuses and primaries. You get both. Yeah. Um, Texas was one of them. They had the Texas two step for a long time. Um, now a lot of these states are moving to just primaries. So we are when where there are caucuses, they are more accessible. Where they um, and then there are states that are moving. Minnesota is one of them as well. Is, are moving to primaries. Colorado is another one. Yeah. 
um, which I think that will make our party more inclusive and is huge. If you're looking towards 2020, I mean, it puts our nominee in the best position possible. But then if you're coming out and and wanting to vote in the midterm elections, that trust, we're rebuilding that trust so that people start voting for Democrats and continue to vote for Democrats in November. Right. Um, Is there still, do you feel, I I keep um, seeing stories about uh, the Bernie wing versus the Hillary wing of the Democratic Party. <laughs> this is 2016 will never go away. <laughs> I know. It just seems that way. And I... um, it It is, I will say that people like to make this a, a war about Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders when Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders have not been on the ballot. I think that there can be something that is further from the truth. I think that whether it's the reforms where all Democrats came together or whether it is some of these races, you know, like Andrew Gillum, for example. Yes, Bernie Sanders campaign for him. That's fantastic. He was also a Hillary Clinton surrogate. I don't I think we're we have while a lot in the media have don't like to move past the Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton narrative because it is a sexy narrative. Voters have and voters are voting because of the actual candidate. Um, And that is why Democrats are winning. They're not winning because of the 2016 yeah. and because of who they endorsed or supported in 2016 we're winning because we're actually winning on the issues yeah no that i think you're absolutely right that narrative is getting old i mean i was on msnbc i guess the other morning we were talking about andrew gillum and they said oh he's so far left he's an extreme lefty you know bernie sanders guy I said wait a minute he was a hillary delegate <laughs> he supported Hillary against Bernie in 2016. He was a Hillary delegate to the convention. Mm-hmm. He was a Hillary surrogate during the campaign, mm-hmm. right? You know, he's just he just represents the future of the Democratic Party. Exactly. Right? God so, forbid we have young people running in the Democratic Party and winning. <laughs> <laughs> they're running now and they're winning. Okay. So Inahosa. Inahosa. Yes. Great to see Good you. Good to see you too. Thanks so much for all that you're doing over there. You can follow, of course, uh, it's Democrats.org, right? Yep. Democrats.org. Pamela Levy joins us next from Mother Jones. Quick break, and we'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Wednesday, September 5, uh, the Bill Press Show. Here we are, live from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill. Where we're brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, those good men and women of the Teamsters Union, under pres- leadership of President Jim Hoffa. We all live better because of their good work. Check out their website at teamster.org. And we thank them for their good work and their support of the program. And welcome to studio from the great Mother Jones, uh, Pema Levy, political reporter, uh, kind of all around you cover whatever is happening, Pema. I do cover a lot, yes. All right. Nice to see you. (laughs) Good to see you. We've been... uh, We've been at it, stirring things up for the last hour and a half. Uh, Peter, with a few comments here. Yes, indeed. A couple of comments. We'll go to Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. We've talked a lot about Ayanna Presley uh, winning yes. last night in Massachusetts. A couple of comments on that. Uh, Phil Big points win. out, as you pointed out, this used to be John F. Kennedy's seat. Uh, Phil points out the best factoid is, while the boundaries have changed over the years, that district was once held by John F. Kennedy, but also by Tip O'Neill. Tip O'Neill held oh, that no, seat really? as well, according yeah. to huh. Phil on, on Twitter. 
Uh, also, uh, here is somebody who is not thrilled with Ayanna Presley's win. Uh, G. Kane says Presley's win is Democrats eating their own. Capuano was a pretty strong progressive. It's sad to see him out. Democrats should focus on the Republicans and not their own. Hmm. Well, um, I disagree. I like my Cap Capuano. Sure. I always have. Um, but this is a time when... You know, one generation has to move aside and make way for the next one. Absolutely. And one uh, final comment from Luna on Twitter says, Trump must be impeached so that he can be prosecuted outside the presidency. Then pack the court. Democracy must be restored. If you have a comment on any topic at any time, of course, you can always find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. All right. Uh, so, Pam, have you read the... Um Bob Woodward book yet? <laughs> I've read the excerpts. It's not even out yet, right? <laughs> exactly. But it is certainly stirring things uh, up. Yes. Uh, very, very much so with uh, some um, pretty critical comments, according to Woodward, about uh, the president uh, and his style coming from the defense secretary, uh, from his chief of staff, uh, from his former economic advisor, Gary Cohn, who, according to Woodward, actually stole documents from his desk uh, so that he was afraid that Trump might sign it. So he just stole the documents so Trump couldn't sign it. Uh, Mattis calling, saying he had the intelligence of a fifth or sixth grader. And uh, John and John Kelly saying, this is crazy town, right? The guy was basically, an, I think he called him an effing idiot. Um, not so much different from what we heard or read in Michael Wolf's book, Fire and Fury. It's it's really not. I think, you know, if, if Woodward had come out with a, a book saying, you know, everything's fine, it's a well-oiled machine in there, and everyone, you know, just does everything that Trump says and respects the president, that, I think, would have been a bigger surprise. Uh, yeah, this is really uh, just more evidence for, I think, what we already assumed, which is that it's an incredibly chaotic place um, and that folks are doing a lot of uh, what they feel like is babysitting or, you know, trying to make sure that nothing really bad happens, basically. Um, I also was sort of struck by the way in which, um, you know, especially the people who who came in there with really good reputations or came in there with sort of, you know, why is this person still there? Uh, you know, someone like Gary Cohn, um, someone like John Kelly, uh, you know, that folks were willing to talk, it seems, in part because they wanted to protect themselves and they wanted to sort of portray themselves as the adult in the room who's you know, tempted to resign, who who wants to resign, who knows it's crazy, but they're just doing this for their country. And so I saw a little bit of self-serving, obviously, in, um, you know, the amount of access and the amount of stuff that uh, that Woodward got, because, you know, the more you say how bad things are, the more you can look like you're really just doing your patriotic duty by serving rather than, uh, conversely, you know, the idea that you're actually there and making some, you know, really um, uh, troubling policies possible. It is always amazing to me how willing people are to talk to Bob Woodward. You know, I mean, the book that he did on Obama, he had like 200 people, right, and, and, and uh, who will talk on the record to Bob Woodward. It's almost like people consider it an honor if Bob Woodward calls you, right? You can never turn him down because you want to be in his book. Yeah, absolutely. And so you know that his, that his book is absolutely absolutely well documented and every interview is 
in genuine and accurately reported. And um, no matter how much Trump protests, I mean, saying that he's a discredited author. No, he's not. Right. No, he's not. It's also sort of like, you know, we've seen so much of the journalism these days get away from, you know, access journalism and you've got to actually do some yeah. digging. Yeah. And Bob Woodward is is sort of, you know, he can still get away with it. He's earned that. He's, he has this interesting reputation and has for, for decades, um, which is that he sort of goes in, he talks to all the important people, and then he just writes down what they says and, and publishes it. He's not necessarily known for, like, mm-hmm. you know, the super insightful analysis or, like, no, my own take. No. And right. I think often that can be frustrating to people who are like, why were you just a stenographer here? We wanted more. But in this case, it works perfectly, right? I mean, in this case, these people are saying really... Um, you know, outlandish and shocking things, even though they're not necessarily unexpected. Uh, and his job is just to present it to us and, you know, without any, you know, um, you know, dressing up. How can you have any respect, not that I ever had much to begin with, for John Kelly, who's still there on the job? Yeah, I think that there are different ways we can look at this. I think that you know, like I said, I definitely get the sense that John Kelly wants you to respect him, and that's part of the motivation for doing this. Um, you know, and I think that, but but at the same time, you know, this is we're not, we're not there, but I mean, there have been all sorts of basically. I guess I would say that there's a lot of evidence that John Kelly agrees with a lot of Trump's agenda, particularly, and so, when, particularly when it comes to immigration. Absolutely, right. yes, right. and and I think he loves the 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 you know everything that goes along with White House privileges and being chief of staff to the president of the United States and da-da-da, the travel and meeting all these foreign leaders and all that kind of stuff, being in the front row at the John McCain Memorial Service. I mean, you know, he's he's like a big deal, right? I think he likes being a big deal. But I I don't think if he had any self-respect, he'd be out of that building. Yeah, I think that um, you have to sort of evaluate with each job. I think that, you know, people have talked about someone like Mattis, um, as as potentially staying in there because they really are trying to make sure that Save we don't start country. a war. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, uh, and then and then there's someone like John Kelly who there's a lot of evidence that they are really on board with Trump's policies, that they really you know agree with his approach, that there's a lot of sort of like um, you know that they're pretty simpatico in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, so the the one initial complaint, the only complaint that Donald initially now it's changed. That he that Donald Trump had with the book was that Woodward didn't talk to him, right? And so they had this classic phone call recorded by Bob Woodward at Donald with Donald Trump's permission, where the only point that Donald Trump was making is, why didn't you call me? Why didn't I get to talk to you? I'll speak to Kellyanne. I am a little surprised that she wouldn't have told me. In fact, she just walked in. I'm talking to Bob Woodward. He said that he told you about speaking to me, but you never told me. Why didn't you tell me? I would have been very happy to speak to him. All right, so what are you going to do? Well, uh, so I have another bad book coming out. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, big dog. I mean, it's just sort of classic Trump, right? On the one hand, he hates the media, and he he knows that attacking them is like a big part of how he, you know, keeps his base happy. And then on the other hand, he craves media attention and approval at all times, and that's why he, you know, welcomes the New York Times and such into his office and gives them these long interviews and calls them up and engages with them quite a bit and, and obsesses over, over the news as, as well because 
he has always sort of craved that validation. And it's sort of like he knew he was being recorded, right? So he's putting oh, yeah. on a show. He's yeah. putting on a show, right? Oh. Like yes. he asked Kelly Han- Kellyanne Conway a question. He doesn't even let her answer. He's like, you know, this is the Donald Trump show. Right. Yeah. And then he, after complaining that nobody told him, nobody told him, nobody told him, at the very end, he admits that that was a lie, too. Senator Graham said he had talked to you about talking to me. Now, is that not true? Uh, Senator Graham actually mentioned it quickly on oh. one meeting. That is true. Okay. <laughs> so he did know about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's very sweet. He doesn't even really care to, like, you know, dispute it. He right. just wanted to get his line in. He's just like, oh, you caught me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like he's a compulsive liar. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Right. Um, uh, as I've mentioned, you know, the, so... Uh, Bob Woodward says uh, t- t- tells all the things about how chaotic the White House, I- White House is and all the bad things that people very close to him tell about Donald Trump. Uh, that's one book, okay? Here's a book that tells you what we should do about it. This is my book that comes out next week, a companion book to, Ro- to Bob Woodward. <laughs> we didn't plan it this way, but it works out this way. Trump must go the top 100 reasons to dump Trump. This makes the case conclusively hard-hitting, but actual, factual. Uh, and one reason, by the way, to keep him. Uh, check out our website at BillPressShow.com. Find out all about this and where you can get a copy and when it comes out and all that good stuff. Trump must go. Top 100 reasons. So Bob Woodward and I uh, <laughs> give Donald Trump... Uh, You'll have a joint tour, is that right? We should. Yeah. Joint yeah, tour, yeah. yeah. Give them something really to uh, to worry about. Uh, you have a, a story this morning about hacking, and it's still going on in 2018. I thought we fixed this in 2016. <laughs> we right? condemned Russia for doing it, and we made sure they could nobody could ever do it again, right? Right, exactly, exactly. That. Yeah, I was, I was shocked, too. I thought we had taken care of the problem. Uh, no. Hardly. What's <laughs> right. going on? Exactly. So I, I guess I came to this story basically... Um, talking to folks about 2016 and what we've done to make sure that we don't have a repeat of that. And people have said, well, first of all, in no way have has Congress or the federal government done enough to stop this. Um, but there has been an acknowledgement, for example, that um, the Russians were able to flood Facebook and other social media platforms with disinformation and that that's a problem. Uh, there is an acknowledgement that the Russians did penetrate um, voter registration databases, for example, In and that that states. is a problem and that we need to address it. Um, and the Department of Homeland Security has been, you know, to their credit, really trying to help states fortify themselves. There has been not a single hearing on the fact that Russia targeted political parties and campaigns and that arguably that was the most effective hack that they did in 2016. You know, when they went into the DNC and leaked their emails, when they um, got John Podesta's emails and leaked those. I mean, that was really, you know, weaponized um, influence work. And there's just absolutely no um, acknowledgement of that or any sort of planning on how to help campaigns in the future. And campaigns on some level are the most vulnerable because there's sort of these like mom and pop pop-up organizations. And it's like a couple staffers running around, mm-hmm. you know, with a laptop yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have IT folks and every last dollar is going to, you know, knocking on doors or doing mm-hmm. ads. And I basically, the more I talked to people, the more they just said, you know, it's, it's a, it's a disaster out there that, you know, security is nowhere. Uh, folks are not getting the help that they need. Um, they don't know how to fortify themselves. 
and Congress is has done has done nothing. They haven't even, you know, I, I spoke with um, the chief technology officer at the Democratic National Convention who's really worried about this. And he's, you know, he's told me, you know, uh, I don't even, you know, if, you know, acknowledging the problem is step one, they haven't even acknowledged the problem. Uh, so it's, you know, we have seen uh, campaigns hacked um, this year. I was going year. to say, is there evidence that yes. hacking is taking place? And is it, do we know it's foreign agents or could it just be troublemakers in the United States. Yeah. So there we do know that the Russians uh, attempted to hack um, three members, uh, three campaigns so far. Um, we have been told that those attempts were unsuccessful. Claire McCaskill, if you'll recall, was yeah. one of the targets. Um, she said it was unsuccessful. Uh, she, she's, you know, I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> we just have to take her word that it was unsuccessful. Well, you know, maybe we'll see. Um, and there were two campaigns in California, um, both in critical swing districts, um, where they have acknowledged that their uh, that the campaigns were hacked. Um, I don't think that there's public evidence right now linking that to Russia. Um, one of them was a Democrat who was um, challenging Dana Rohrabacher, who is a Republican yeah. in Congress who's sort of known as Putin's uh, favorite congressman. So uh, it would make sense that the Russians would be interested in, in meddling there. Uh, and so, you know... Russia has a vested interest in making sure that Republicans maintain Congress. I was just going to say, you know, in 2016, their goal was to help Donald Trump win the White House. What is the, if they, to the extent that they're hacking this year, is it to keep Republicans in control of Congress? Is, is that- well, the senator we know who was targeted was McCas- Claire McCaskill. Um, that's a race that could determine control of the Senate. Uh, this is someone who's been very critical mm-hmm. and, and vocally critical of Putin. And you have to think that if Democrats get access or sorry, take control of either house, they're going to do things that Russia doesn't like. Uh, They're going to want more sanctions. They're going to want more investigations. They're going to want Trump's tax returns, which may show that he has money from Russians. uh, They might want to hold some hearings. Exactly. Exactly. So there is definitely an interest there, I I think, uh, to keep Republicans in control. I'm not, you know, not privy to Putin's internal machinations here, but uh, I think that's a, a logical conclusion to make. You know, one other example of uh, attempted hacking, uh, we talked last week with the chairman of the DNC, Tom Perez. Mm-hmm. Yet again, this this just in the last month or so, there was an attempt to hack into the DNC system, which the chairman said was unsuccessful also uh, because they put some new security measures in place since 2016. Yeah, the DNC has done um, some significant, you know, hiring of um, uh, of some of some folks that I, you know, from what I gather are, are really smart, really good um, folks. But, you know, as they've told me, they've got thousands of, of people campaigning. It's they can't really keep track of it. Everyone's using different tools, different platforms, different, you know, emails, different protocols. And it's it's um, they're just, they just need some federal supervision here. Uh, have the. Um IT companies done enough to block, you know, ads that could be coming in from the same sources? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know. I don't think anyone has done enough at this point. Um, certainly there's, you know, an awareness, like I said, of the sort of social media side of things, that sort of influence. But yeah, all, all they did the issue. last time is after the fact, they said, oh, look at all these hundreds and hundreds of ads that happened to slip through that we didn't catch. Right. Right. No, they're definitely. I, Is that my, still going on? My understanding. Uh, well, they're my, they're definitely cracking down on it. So if they're cracking down on it, then yes, it's still go- it's still going on. Um, and you know, we'll just have to wait and see how much of that starts to flood the zone and how good they are at staying on top of it. 
Um, I, I, I have a prediction. They're not very good at staying yeah, on top. Yeah, right. That's yeah. the answer. I mean, they, 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 this this slipped through their fingers the first time around. There is a large number of politicians, even, that really don't care if this gets fixed or not. I mean, not only do they do some of them not care, I think they have a hard time understanding it. That, I think that's the better answer. Mm-hmm. Yes, I don't mm-hmm. think they understand. I, it. I think they have. I think they really struggle to, to. But but I think that you're right that that private industry can do some stuff. So you know, I've talked to folks who said. You know, right now, you know, some people hardly know what two-factor authentication is, much less how to turn it on. Well, what if it was just the default? You know, what if when you started a Facebook account or a Google account, two-factor was was what you got? And if you didn't want that, you had to go in and opt out of it. That would make instantly make everyone more secure. So there are some basic things that the tech companies can do um, to make sure that, you know, sort of basic phishing scams and such um, are unsuccessful. Pamela Levy with us from Mother Jones, motherjones.com. Um, have, have you ever seen a congressional hearing, speaking of hearings, like yesterday's Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on Brett Kavanaugh? It got, you knew things were, uh, going, were going to explode from the very first words out of Chuck Grassley's mouth. The chairman, this is chairman, just trying to say hello and what this hearing is all about, you can't even finish the sentence before Democratic Senator Kamala Harris uh, makes a point. Good morning. I welcome everyone to this confirmation hearing on the nomination of Mr. Judge Chairman Brett Kavanaugh, <laughs> Mr. Chairman, to serve as Associate Justice. Mr. Chairman, I'd like Supreme to be recognized for a question States. before we proceed. <laughs> Yeah, then that when then that continued about like that for over an hour, I think. Oh yeah, right, right. Yeah, uh, where he said you're out of order, you're out of order, and then he kept banging the gavel, and Democrats were just not paying any attention to him, you know. And the point was, you drop forty two thousand more documents in the middle of the night, right? And you expect us now to start this hearing without having had a chance to review all the evidence before the committee? Yeah, I I think that there's. Politically, it makes sense as a strategy, right? I mean, Democrats don't have a lot of leverage here, but they need to prove to their base that they're really trying. Um, And they need to sort of get their base motivated over this uh, nomination and sort of, you know, show the ways in which they don't think that this has been doing been done fairly um, and the the way in which Republicans are sort of rushing this. Uh, And so it, it makes a lot of sense. But there was also, I think, you know, Beyond the politics, you could see a lot of, um, you know, concern and anger at the way this has been carried out and the way that it um, has been rushed without access to um, a, a huge amount of documents um, on Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, in terms of and and the issue, there are the policy reasons for voting against him, and then the procedural reasons for like, particularly in light of what happened to Merrick Garland. Uh, for rushing this and not giving everybody a chance to review these documents. Uh, so the whole issue is not the documents. There's a lot of discussion about that yesterday because of the timing of these release. But um, so uh, Chairman Grassley tries to make the point, why you guys, what's your problem? We we reviewed all these documents since they were released in the middle of the night or, or late on, on Labor Day. And we we were able to take care of it. Why not you? Here's here's Senator Grassley. 
The majority staff began re reviewing the documents as soon as they arrived and has already completed its review. Yeah, so we looked at all 42,000 pages. Uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island says, oh, no, no, no. You're, don't don't try to pull that over on us. Here he For is. the record, that's a rate of seven thousand pages per hour. That's right. superhuman. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great point. Right. And yeah. also, lost another. I mean, yeah. it was on Labor Day. I know it was on Labor these, Day. Like, are yeah. they really going to stay up all night on Labor Day to look? No, they're not. No. Well, and also, like you know, how how you know you're you're trying to you know make sure that you don't. You know, sometimes the things that you want to catch are just like a sentence and a whole email and stuff. And how you got to be you know doing some serious speed reading. Um, you know, to get through that many, uh, for sure. I, I, White House made another point during the hearing in which he said, you know, if we were in a courtroom and one of the parties had done this document dump the day uh, mm -hmm. before the oh, trial, yeah. the judge would grant a continuance. <laughs> we would be given time to read sure. them. Sure, if not a mistrial or whatever. Yeah, right. no. Uh, I, but there was no way that they could pretend this was a fair hearing yesterday. But then sort of the final, the body blow was that uh, and I I was at the uh, in in the hard office building yesterday um, meeting with a senator when um, just in the middle of this hearing word comes that Senator du uh, Governor Ducey from Arizona has named John Kyle to fill at least until the end of the year uh, the place of John McCain for the express purpose of being there to vote for Brett Kavanaugh right which kind of wasn't final nail in the coffin in terms of attempts to well, and, block him. Well, well, I, I wouldn't put it that way because in, in theory, we, there are these two, um, in theory. you know, in yeah. theory, we have we have yeah. Susan Collins and, and Lisa yeah. Murkowski. I, yeah, I, I am stressing the in theory part of it. Uh, Don't hold you know. your breath. I'm, I'm, exactly. I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I, I would be surprised. I mean, there's lots going on, but we are out of time. <laughs> so good to see you. Thanks so much for coming in again. Thank you for having and me. And all the great work uh, you and uh, David Corn and all the others do at Mother Jones, motherjones.com. That wraps it up for this Wednesday, folks. Have a great Wednesday and come back and see us tomorrow. You know this we'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.